0: We'll do our scripture reading uh, for this morning. It's found in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. It was the 4th Thursday of November that our country has set aside to celebrate and give thanks. And um, it's becoming and has been one of the most traveled days of the year because it's a time when people like to gather together at our home. By the way, Vivian, are you going to be in Hawaii at Thanksgiving? Wow, so there is a family reunion. And uh, maybe there are other family reunions being planned this year. It's a legacy that was passed down to us from our pilgrim fathers. (coughs) A fond expectation of a promised land turned into a severe beating uh, in those first few years there when they had the worst winters that they had ever experienced. And 47 of the original 103 on the Mayflower had passed away. It was a real tough time. Can you imagine leaving your home country, going to a strange world, and being met by such harsh, harsh, harsh uh, experiences, life-threatening experiences, as they were faced with? Uh, the, the, the next spring um, came some hope. An Indian by the name of Squanto, you know the stories, he taught them how to plant corn. I love corn. I think everybody ought to have corn at Christmas time just to remember this story. You know, is it possible to have corn at Christmas, not Christmas, at Thanksgiving time? Is it possible? Frozen, huh? Okay. And he also taught them how to net fish. And they planted acres, 20 acres of corn, six of barley and some peas. The corn and barley did pretty well, but the peas did not. And so... They set aside a day for feasting and celebrating. The governor decided that it should be late in 1621, and they wanted to share their celebration and the true spirit of Thanksgiving with the Indians. And the chief of Massasoit's tribe accepted their invitation, and quite a few came, 90 from the tribe came. They brought their provisions to join in with the provisions of the pilgrims. They brought deer and oysters, and it was a great feast three days they ate together. And I think you know the story, but in those days it wasn't like it is at our house at Thanksgiving time. Everybody has their own dish at Thanksgiving time. I mean, doesn't that happen in your house? You have your own dish? They had troughs. And several people ate out of the same trough. (coughs) So things have improved, I think, a little bit since that time. And so they ate and ate and ate for three days straight. After dinner, if you can imagine doing this after a Thanksgiving dinner, they got up and did athletics. They ran races, and they did all kinds of stuff like that. I could not do that after a Thanksgiving dinner at all. You know, that's exactly right. I head right for that chair where the feet come up, you know, and the head goes back, and then the fireplace is nearby, and uh, if the children, grandchildren will let me, I go to take a nap. Um, Anyway, Governor Bradford ordered a day of feasting and fasting and prayer because uh, two years later they had another tough, tough time. And they prayed for nine hours straight that God would take care of them. It was a difficult time and small clouds began to appear and pretty soon the refreshing rains came. And to show their gratitude for God's answering their prayers, Governor Bradford issued this uh, statement. Inasmuch as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, beans, squashes, garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game, and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, was he a poet? (laughs) Uh, had spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and little ones do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill. I think language has improved since those days. Between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November, ye 29th of the year of the Lord, 1623. And the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessing. And ye all said, Amen. Thank you. Very good. Okay. So that's what happened. Now, Thanksgiving is not new. Um, it dates way back. Uh, the Chinese have observed it for thousands of years. The Jewish... The Feast of Tabernacles was a time of great thanksgiving, so it goes back those days as well. The Greeks and Romans celebrated nine days of feast and thanksgiving. And the Scots also had a fall harvest feast. There are probably others as well. In 1789, President Washington said, it is the duty, it is the duty of nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. What is so interesting to me is that was a pretty commonly believed and held belief. It is the duty to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God. Well, something horrible has happened. Uh, Not just to the pilgrims, but look what's happening. We have 42 million people visiting Grandma this Thanksgiving, traveling from all over, going to Grandma's house, I hope they find mashed potatoes. We love mashed potatoes, grandmas. I hope you're having mashed potatoes. Good. And butter right on the top, our gravy, something like that. Really I hope good. So. Yes, right. But it's kind of bad news for the turkeys. I don't know if the turkeys know what's awaiting them. It's not very good news. But anyway, <clears throat> what I want to talk about is the spirit of thanksgiving, the spirit of gratitude today, because I think we could use a little bit of that information. Every wealthy nation, says uh, Seligman today, boy, look at this. You see that? The title of the cover, Decade from Hell, Time Magazine, the worst decade ever. World Trade Center, calamities of nature, tsunamis, storms, climate change, financial ruin, loss of America's prestige. The little baby said, I don't like what's happening. (laughs) But look at this. One of the uh, psychologists that I really admire, and I'll tell you why, he tells us that every wealthy nation on this planet is in the middle of an epidemic of depression. Depression is about 10 times more common than it was 50 years ago. We're going to celebrate a spirit of thanksgiving when depression is just sweeping over the country. 50 years ago, the average age for the first onset of depression was 30 years of age, 50 years ago. I was alive back then. Today, where is it? Below 18 years of age. And in that period of time, there has been such a period of abundance and prosperity like probably no other time in history. And it seems like depression follows prosperity. Three times more purchasing power than 50 years ago. Bigger houses, more cars. I live in the biggest house I've ever lived in. More education, more music, more rights, less racism, less pollution, fewer tyrants, more books and entertainment, everything is better except we don't feel good about life in ways that we have never, and to degrees that we have never experienced before. The National Happiness Scale, believe it or not, they measure that, and it has stayed stagnant all through this period of unparalleled prosperity. Something's going wrong. I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know if you know this story. It's a story about a woman named Jackie Miller, a single mother of two. She had a very successful career. She loved photography. She was visiting a friend at her home one day, and she had taken a nap. She was the only one in the home because the friend had gone somewhere, and she was there alone. Two boys. Two boys came by, and somehow they believed that life had just treated them horribly. And these two boys made a decision. If nobody cares for us, then we're not going to care for anybody else. Young teenagers. And they just drove down the street, stopped in front of the home where Jackie was taking a nap. Didn't know anybody in his home. It was just happenstance. And they were going to steal the car out front. And so they looked for the keys. They weren't in car obviously so they decided they are going to go in the house they rang the doorbell nobody was there so they just walked in and they were rifling through the house looking for the keys when Jackie woke up and when she woke up the boys panicked they took Jackie threw her to the floor put a pillow over her head and one of them had a gun and he put it to the back of her head and he pulled the trigger What a terrible tragedy. That's not the whole story, though. She was attacked by a boy named Craig, 16, and Josh, who was 15. He shot her through the back of her head. Here is the boy in the picture on the left of the screen. She had just a 2% chance of survival. She was nine months in rehab. She had to learn everything over again, completely even the most elementary things in life that children have to learn. She had to learn them all over again. She was legally b- blind. Both boys, <laughs> it was a stupid thing. They went back to the home where they came from, where they were captured. And they were sentenced. Despite the ongoing havoc they brought, they took away everything, Jackie said. What did she do? She forgave them. I think I would be nuts if I hadn't forgiven them. I forgave them immediately so I could get on with my life. That was the attitude that Jackie took. Two years after shooting, Jackie decided that she was going to visit Craig in prison. He was the one that pulled the trigger to find out why he shot her. She had no memory of it. So, and to let him know that she had forgiven him. Did you hear what Jackie said? So that I can get on with my life. That's a psychological, spiritual, and an absolute truth. When we are locked up by an event, we are stuck in an event. And we have to get beyond it. She wanted her life to be more than just this horrible tragedy that happened to her, no fault of her own. Craig said, when Jackie forgave me, I was able to see that there was a future and I can strive to be a better person and reach that future. Not only did Jackie need to get out of being trapped, Craig needed to get out from being trapped as well. And the only way for that to happen was if somebody reached inside themselves and found something that allowed them to leap beyond all that had been handed to them. And for her, it was forgiveness. And it worked, interestingly enough, reconciliation. I love this quote. All heaven is interested in the interview between the one who has been injured and the one who is in air." What, do we, what happens to the one that's been offended and the offender? All heaven stops to watch to see what takes place. Because perhaps this is the only planet where you see that take place. The oil of love removes the soreness caused by the wrong. Jackie felt that. Craig felt that. The Spirit of God blinds hearts to heart and there it binds hearts to heart, and there is music in heaven over the reunion brought about. Now, it's very interesting what's been happening in the area of what we're talking about this uh, Thanksgiving, spirit of gratitude. That's what President Washington said. That's what Thanksgiving is all about, that we all owe God some of that. We know today that people who are grateful cope better with life's transitions. We all get these transitions. They throw us in some kind of an amazing force into some kind of an obstacle, some kind of a wall. We don't know how to get beyond it. And how do we cope with it? Gratitude. You must find gratitude. A reason to be thankful or you're stuck in the mess. You're just stuck in it. And it is not easy sometimes to find reasons to be grateful. We all experience this. The things that come our way come to me. How do you reach out and have hope? Have joy? How can you be grateful? They have, they're less stressed, less depressed, more satisfied with their relationships Three months later, if they practice being grateful. I'm telling you this because at this time of the year, I hope that it prompts us to make sure that we reevaluate our lives in the spirit of thanksgiving, thankfulness, being grateful. And it will change and produce some wonderful results for us. Gratitude is more powerful, they have discovered today, than any personality trait. You say some people come about this naturally. The spirit of gratitude can trump what they come across naturally. It's more powerful. It improves altruistic tendencies. A desire to do good for others no matter what is coming back to you, if anything. Gracious people are more likely to sacrifice individual gains for the sake of communal benefits. Do you know of people like that? I had a mother like that. And she's changed my life. And a lot of us have mothers like that. We're lucky if we have a mother and a father like that. You know. We're lucky if we have a spouse like that. But that is so important. And the only way to live a life of happiness. Remember I talked about this wave of depression. People don't sense that there's any reason to be happy. The reason to be happy will come when you practice gratitude. Gratitude it creates its own reasons. The characteristics of great people, their strength comes from within. It's not at all dependent upon what's happening to them on the outside. It comes from within. They believe their actions make things happen. They are not powerless. They can change. By their actions, they can make things different. They believe their goals can be achieved no matter what difficulties lie ahead. And they expect plenty of positive outcomes from life. Pessimistic people are going to have a hard time with all four of those things. Gratitude is something, it's a choice we (coughs) make, in spite of what's happening. And so, uh, so, you know this person, Deborah Norville, she used to be an anchor. Uh, She says, uh, thank you power is what she's working on today, the science of gratitude. And she's summarizing what's happening in the science of gratitude. Gratitude makes us more optimistic, more helpful, more joyful, more healthy, more resilient, more, less stressed, and better strategic thinkers and better innovative thinkers because we are thinking outside of the rigid confines of what life is handed to us. We go beyond. There's a whole group of science that's come together, and I'm going to give it to you quickly, and I'm going to tell you the reason why. Uh, do you want to try to say your last name? Well... Laoub, no, I'm not either. She says, uh, she's remarkably young, isn't she? And she's a leading uh, researcher in the field of gratitude. And she is saying that gratitude journals don't write this off men or women. If you want your life to account for more than you think it can be, you better pay attention to this one. It's a matter of the way God has designed the brain to work. If you write down every day things that you are happy about, things that you are grateful for, even if there are hard things that are coming your way, if you write them down, the wheels of your brain are going to turn in the direction of gratitude. And when that happens, a whole stream of emotions will follow to support that. And you will be a happier person. It's as simple as that. And so she is saying, take time conscientiously count your blessings, once a week significantly boosts overall satisfaction with life. Deeds of kindness, doing kind acts, um, especially all on a single day, give measurable boost to one's satisfaction with life. Robert Emmons. Right here from Davis, not too far away. He agrees. The one who benefited most to elaborate more. The ones who benefited most were the ones that elaborated more and have a wider span of things that they're grateful for. Push yourself for reasons to be grateful. Write them down. Look at them. Think about them. Dwell upon what you have written down. And you are rewiring the brain in a positive direction. So that's what I'd like to have us all think about. Here is this professor, his picture before you hear, Robert Eamons from UC Davis. Those who keep weekly gratitude journals felt better about their lives, reported fewer adverse symptoms, and were more optimistic. They were more likely to make progress toward important personal goals. They experienced higher levels of alertness, determination, attentiveness, and energy. This is all good stuff and are more likely to get involved in helping someone experiencing a personal problem. Would you like your life to be that way? Journaling. Write it down. And not only do you write it down, but go back and revisit the pages, and think about them again. You are reprogramming your life to not be the victim. It's interesting reading the Gospel of John. We were reading, because... The differences in what John says, you remember he's not like the other three, the others are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke. John is different. John always portrays that Jesus was not the victim on the cross or any of the events leading up to it. Jesus had made a choice to go that way. Jesus, Jesus was actually grateful to do it. He did not resist it. He wanted to do this. And that's the example for us, that we, the same way, when we do that, we have power in our life. And grateful people have the capacity to be empathetic and take the perspective of other people, are more generous and helpful, are less likely to judge based upon material terms. They are more spiritual. Let me just tell you something. You know I've been doing a lot of research in the area of spirituality. I'm going to tell you that what I have read in the science of gratitude, the happiness research on gratitude, parallels exactly what I'm reading in spirituality. Practicing gratitude sets you up to be a spiritual person, enhances being a spiritual person. If you have any doubt about that, ask the people around you. Do you like to have somebody that's happy and grateful and overflowing with thanksgiving? Or do you want to have somebody that's always moaning and groaning about what life is dishing out to them? What has a more positive effect? And so you find out through the Bible that all through the Bible, all through the Bible, we are commanded to give sacrifices of praise, sacrifices of joy. And you wonder why all of this happens all the time. God was teaching the people how to have the best life possible in doing these things. A song would be sung was more pleasing to God than animal sacrifices. Paul maintained that Thanksgiving should characterize the Christian life in all circumstances. It should mark all corporate worship. You should come to church and you should go out of church happier than when you came in. That's what should happen. The book of Revelation is filled with hymns of praise and thanksgiving. It's a common feature. In heavenly worship. In fact, the Hebrew word for peace offering, shalim, is always used in the plural shalom, calling attention to the abundance of joy. Praise is associated with gratitude, it sets it all up. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. You bet it's good. It changes who you are. To show forth thy loving kindness in the morning, thy faithfulness every night, I don't want to get ahead of this thing. And it's the subject of morning and evening prayers. That's what it's all about. For thou, Lord, hath made me glad through thy work, and I will triumph in the work of thy hands. In everything give thanks, for this is the what? The will of God. Why do you think God wants that? Tell me. I've been telling you all along. Why? It's the best thing for us. It is really important to do that. Look at this one. Let's read it together. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. It's like an ache. Oh, I wish we could do this. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. The righteous shall see it and rejoice and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. As you do this thing, happiness, rejoicing takes place. As you do these things, the loving kindness of the Lord comes into your life. The Lord was teaching his people what finally science is showing us to be true. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. In everything, give thanks to the Lord. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Singing praise, giving thanks to the Lord, reminds us, that God does fulfill his promises. That we're not stuck in some kind of a thing of human devising, that God is there and he can take us through it all. And it's something to learn. A few years ago, quite startling thing happened in the field of psychology. Ever since its founding, the field of psychology has been concerned with one thing, getting people who are the most desperately ill people back to normal just normal. And that's all they've studied for almost the entire length of the psychology, the field of psychology's history. Not how bad they are, just to get them to normal. Psychology didn't know anything about getting people from, quotes, normal to excelling. And just a few years ago, some psychologists decided to get together and change that. And so instead of what you might call negative psychology, we have a new field now called positive psychology getting normal people to excel, to achieve everything that life should be. And so psychologists use their considerable skills about human people, (laughs) you know, about us, to figure out how that's done. One of the leading proponents is this man that you've heard me refer to. He's Marty Seligman. New Year's Day, 1998, his first day as president of the American Psychological Association... Dr. Seligman, who taught for years at the University of Pennsylvania, called together three people to lay out plans for redirecting the goal of psychology towards promoting positive psychology. And his three guests at Acamal, Mexico, I hope I said that right, were there to discuss how to do it. One was Edward Denner, who was popularly known as Dr. Happiness. Another was Mahaley, can you say that next name? Very, very familiar name in psychological circles. Chex and Mahaley. <laughs> he was the inventor of flow. He was the inventor of flow. I'll tell you about that a little bit now. And finally, the previous longtime CEO of American Psychological Association, Raymond Flower. They got together in this Mexico retreat and they laid plans to turn the entire course of psychology in a new direction. Dr. Denner, Dr. Happiness. Once your basic needs, he says, are met, additional income does little to raise your sense of satisfaction with life. Yes, getting to the place where your basic needs are met does matter in life satisfaction. But anything above that, have you been noticing the news lately telling you how many people own how much of the wealth of America? Very, very few own most of the wealth of the country. And it doesn't bring them one iota of more happiness or more satisfaction. Life survival, yes, you do need that. It's necessary for happiness. But beyond that, it makes very little difference. This is what the research is telling us. Strong ties and commitments to family and friends, these produce the greatest benefits I'm watching back there, a granddaddy, you know, and he's getting, look at him, he's smiling and he's having a great time. He's getting all kinds of good feelings coming all over him simply because he's got family that are in his arms. And Haley, University of Chicago, if you're alone with nothing to do, the quality of your experience really plummets. At 15 years of age, he watched so many people that he admired so much in his life being totally devastated by what happened in that country. They had attached so much significance on their status and their prestige and it was all taken away so quickly and they were totally without anything. And it had such a powerful impact upon his, this 15-year-old boy's mind that he dedicated his life to see, how can we change that? How can people somehow develop some kind of an inner source of happiness that's not so vulnerable to what happens on the outside? And he's becoming, he has become one of the most renowned scientists in the field, despite his name. Okay. Yeah, Czajic Mihaly. Here is what they've discovered in the findings of positive psychology. Optimistic people are much less likely to die of heart attack than pessimists. Women who display Listen to this. This will surprise you. Women who display genuine smiles to photographer by age 18. By age 18, she's learned to be comfortable enough just to smile. A genuine smile. Will have fewer divorces and more happiness. Just simply because of that. External factors, weather like today, health, marriage, religion, money, All of that together totals no more than 15% of life happiness. Weather, outside event, even your health, marriage, religion, only 15%. The pursuit of meaning and engagement are much more predictive of life satisfaction than the pursuit of pleasure. I want to back that up and take a look at it. The pursuit of meaning and getting engaged in the lives of other people. Those are the major factors that produce the greatest effect in life satisfaction. Does that remind you of a person who walked on dusty trails 2,000 years ago and dedicated his whole life to meaning and engagement? Maybe the happiest person that ever lived. And look what his life was like. Happy teenagers go on to earn very substantially more income 15 years later than less happy teenagers. So we set the path. Somehow in my children's spirituality thing, we've got to teach parents how to somehow pass on to their children the foundations for gratitude. Remember I said they match the foundations for spirituality? We've got to do that. We've got to help them to see, to get involved and engaged and have meaning. They're living their lives for a purpose. How you celebrate good events is a better predictor of love and commitment than how you respond to bad events. Now, Mahaley was the one that invented flow. I want to talk to you about flow just for a moment. This is very interesting. Do you know about flow? There are books that he's written, and the title is Flow. I'll explain what I'm talking about. I can remember, before I explain it, I'm going to tell you something. When I was a young man, and could actually run without falling on my face, there were times that I remember when I was playing, when I was on the track field. And I could run, and run so fast, it amazed me. I was in kind of a zone, if you know that as what it's talking about. And everything was working perfectly my muscles were per- working perfectly, my brain was working perfectly, and everything was perfect. Sometimes it happened when I was playing basketball. And I would make those shots, and one shot, and another shot, and another shot, and it seemed like nothing could go wrong. And those were wonderful times. That's flow. And Mahali, who saw, he realized that there's something inside of us that... And and what it involves is, has nothing to do with what's going on on the outside. In fact, you're not even aware of what's going on on the outside. You are in this zone, and it's like a pianist playing the piano, and they're not paying attention to the notes anymore. They're not paying attention to anybody out there. They are in the music. And something is happening that is even surprising and startling to them. That they are so connected with what they're doing. And Mihaly talks about that this is essential. This is part of this meaning of getting so engaged with some kind of a function in life that it is kind of merged into you and you, you, you're going down that path, doing what you need to do, not even aware of the reactions around you because it's all coming from within you. That's flow. And people that have that, that are in that state, are much happier and practice greater gratitude. So it's something to think about. And God, you know what, I mean, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that's felt that. Sometimes I have felt God come into my life in such powerful ways. I've told you this before, that words come out of my mouth that didn't come out of my head. And I have to think about what just came out. Wow! That's flow. And sometimes... We realize that's spirituality too, by the way. It's spirituality. The spirituality works the same way. So um, let me go on here. I got sidetracked here a little bit. What makes us happy? Here's a test. There's a survey in the Time magazine of 2005, January the first, January 17th, I think it was. Look at 35% is grandchildren, 17% family. It's the local family. If you want to be happy, get engaged with your own family. That really brings out happiness and brings out gratitude. Something's wrong about that figure besides spouse, isn't it? That should be 90, right? It must be a mistype, do you think? (laughs) That's sad. (laughs) Okay. Again, affirming the idea of gratitude. Marty Seligman, after his years and years and years of research on this, he says, it's so important to make a gratitude visit. I am telling you this because I want you to practice these things. These things work. Write a testimonial. Thanking a teacher. I'm going to skip pastor, but you think I'm setting you up on that one. Or grandparent. Anyone to whom you owe a debt of gratitude. Whoever it might be. Think about it. Who has done something nice to me? I want to... Show gratitude. Praise. And then visiting that person, read to him your letter of appreciation, or her. And the remarkable thing is that people who do this just once are measurably happier and less depressed a month later. It stays with you. It lingers. A gratitude visit. Do this. Make it a natural function of your life to start moving on the gratitude side the Thanksgiving side of things really important he says now there's even a more powerful effect and that is if you will take time each day to write down three things that went well and why review the day be thankful about the three things dwell upon them think upon them that lasts how long how long three months later, and six months later. Now, research has done this over and over again so you know that there's something about it. Taking time to do this has phenomenal results. The biggest recommendation for lasting happiness is to figure out your strengths and to find new ways to deploy them. Um, And so he's saying this, that uh, the most... Interpersonal virtues like kindness, gratitude, and the capacity of love is the greatest effect on all of those things. Giving makes you feel good about yourself. When you're volunteering, you're distracting yourself from your own existence. That's beneficial. Giving puts meaning into your life. You have a sense of purpose because you matter to someone else. Virtually all the happiness exercises (coughs) being tested by positive psychologists make people feel more connected to others. This whole new field of positive psychology is taking normal people and taking them in the direction where they can excel and even become spiritual people. What is happiness? A life filled with positive emotion from the good things in our lives, just enough necessary to survive. Secondly, a life that is so fully absorbed in living, employing all your talents, and strengths to meet the challenges coming your way, the flow, that we become unaware of our own thoughts and feelings in the present. We're so absorbed in doing a good job for somebody. And thirdly, knowing and using your highest strengths in serving something bigger, larger than self. That is happiness. Take a look at those things. I'm going to pass out this sheet for those of you who would like. It's it's kind of a summation of all of this. And maybe you can put this up somewhere and remind yourself about it until it becomes permanently written in your brain. Take it everywhere you're at, at your place of work, at your home, wherever it may be, and you will notice that as you put this before you, your life will start to change. Count your blessings, practice acts of kindness, savor life's joys, Thank a mentor, learn to forgive, invest time and energy in friends and family, take care of your body, and develop strategies for coping with stress and hardships. I asked my wife on the phone just the other night, I said, honey, would you like to take this quiz? (laughs) You're going to get this too. And go, give each other the quiz and see what your responses are. You can give your answers one to seven, one is not at all, seven is absolutely true, and in between. And you ask these, six, these five questions that are listed here and get a response and then count up your scores and it tells you where you're at at the bottom. This is the test that is oftentimes given. And if you find yourself pretty low, then you've got some work to do to change some patterns. A century ago, God told us through Ellen White, listen to these words. It is a law of nature. God knew this because he had the entire group of his people through history in the habit of giving praise. It is the law of nature that our thoughts and feelings are encouraged and strengthened as we give them what? Utterance. While words express thoughts, it is also true that thoughts follow words. I think I'm going to end there. But this Thanksgiving, why don't we just practice the things that really make us grateful. And maybe start a new routine for a year and make sure that we practice some of these things like the journal, about counting our blessings. Also think about our greatest strengths and try to find out how we can employ them. Evaluate the day and think about it from a gratitude sense of what was really important. You are resetting your brain, and when you do that, the devil is going to have a harder time getting through, and God will get through much easier as well. This is Thanksgiving time, so let's practice some of this stuff. As we enter into Thanksgiving week, this coming week, there should be things that we can learn about Thanksgiving that can make us better people. Thank you for teaching us and showing us the way, not only in your word, but also through science today, that maybe we can escape some of that depression, and maybe we can become more involved in the lives of others, and maybe we can also become more engaged and thoughtful about how we live our lives. May we encourage each other as members of the family gathered around the Thanksgiving table to encourage each to put into practice some of the things that we've talked about today so that our lives can be happier and everybody around us can be happier and that we can practice more and more of opening our hearts and being grateful to you in the spirit of thanksgiving. Thank you for loving us, accepting us, forgiving us, and being willing to be with us and guide us every day of our lives in spite of the fact that we endlessly disappoint you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.